Today, we're going to look at a couple of questions you can use to have better conversations. Stay tuned on Unapologetic. The new year is almost upon us, and as often happens, people start thinking about how they're going to read their Bible in the new year. And in this way, I think New Year's resolutions and those types of rhythms can be helpful if we look at them in terms of establishing uh, long-term practices. So, if you're looking to say, how can I read my Bible better in 2018, and you didn't read it much in 2017, it would probably be wise not to choose a plan that has you reading the whole Bible in a year or that has you reading uh, for 20 or 30 minutes a day. No, find something that's more approachable that you can actually fit into your life now and maybe grow over time. So maybe your goal is to read five minutes a day in 2018, five days a week. So give yourself a two-day buffer. And maybe in 2019, you ratchet that up to 10 minutes a day, twice as much as you did in 2018. In other words, find something sustainable. Uh, and I also think when we read large chunks of scripture at a time and we're trying to make it through the Bible in a year, for instance, we're often not paying attention to, one, the, the details in the text that often have a lot of meaning, but two, often the, the overall arc of it. We're just moving so fast, we're not able to see how it all fits together. To that end, I have actually designed a little Bible reading plan generator. And you can say, uh, here how many chapters I want to read a day uh, from the Old Testament and, and from the New Testament, and it will take you chronologically through the Bible at your own pace. You can say, I don't want to read on Saturdays. I just want to read on weekdays and Sunday, or, or however that works out. And it'll stretch it out. So, uh, for instance, you may come up with a chronological reading plan that takes you three and a half years to accomplish, but it's probably much more easily able to be accomplished than if you try to do it in a year. So, your mileage may vary, but, but let's try and set reasonable goals that we can achieve in terms of our Bible reading for 2018. Now, we're going to talk today, more to the point, right, about some ways we can have better conversations. And the last four or five, maybe six conversations I've had with someone who had questions about Christianity or wasn't a Christian, they, they had a fundamental issue, a, a kind of impasse that we came to that if I hadn't identified, we would have continued to talk past one another. Now, I'm sure you understand what I mean by talking past one another. Often it happens even with two people who know each other well, and one thinks that the other is talking about something different than they're actually talking about. And the conversation might go on for some time, and then each person's getting slightly more confused. And then at some point you realize we're not actually talking about the same thing. And this actually occurs in a certain way or two when we discuss religion and ethics and values and things like that. And so in a recent conversation I was having, it was uh, over tacos, and it was, uh, it was later at night, and it was interesting. We were talking about the existence of God and, and uh, if, if he exists, and this person said, well, I don't think he does, uh, and I said, well, well, we can demonstrate it this way, and then he said, well, I don't think we can know, and I said, well, well which is it? Is it that you don't think there's a right answer, or you don't think we can know what the answer is? And the question took the, the guy back for a second. And that's a really helpful question to ask, because you don't know the type of person you're talking with today. And most people we are going to converse with don't have a formal philosophical framework of knowledge and how they know things. And they're not going to be able to say, hey, I'm a moral objectivist or something like that. And we wouldn't expect them to because that'd be kind of weird, right? No, but 
people often have a hodgepodge of different beliefs about how they can actually believe things. They have different uh, types of ways they think they can know or not know what's in the world. And we have to kind of tease those out in conversation. Because if I'm contending for the truth of the gospel, that Jesus Christ was fully man and fully God, came to earth, lived a sinless life, went to the cross, and died for sinners, and this person doesn't think that that's true for everyone— well, then I'm going to be convincing them of something. And they'll be like, yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good. And they're thinking, well, that's good for you. That's good for you. That's not good for me. Right? So if there's not a right answer for everyone, and I'm just arguing with this person in that way, then we're talking past each other. Now, some people will think you can't know, but they'll just be saying, yeah, I don't think that happened. I don't think that happened. I don't think that happened. And really behind that is this idea that they just don't think you can know. So we have to get some answers to these questions. And you know what? The last three people I've asked this question to, they haven't actually had a quick answer. They had to stop and think about it. And so when I ask them, do you think that there is a right answer or that there's not? Or alternatively, do you think we can know or not know? They, they had to stop and think and go, hmm. I'm not sure. They'd never considered that there could be a right answer to the question, one that is true for everyone, and yet that they might not be able to know it. And, and I would say with an asterisk there, not be able to know it with their current set of tools that would provide them with knowledge, right? So if your only tools in your toolbox are scientific tools, you will not be able to come to conclusions that science can't speak to. Science speaks to the natural world and, and things that are natural. It has no ability to speak directly to the supernatural. So if you want to detect something supernatural, you can't use, on the face of it, a scientific tool. Science is very helpful for many things, but like when you try to uh, plant plants with a hammer, you'll find it doesn't go too well because you're using the wrong tool for the job. And it's the same way with tools of knowing and how we come to gain knowledge. So when I asked this person, do you think there's a right answer or not to questions of, of ethics and morals? They said, well, no. And I said, okay, well, that's helpful. And then I said, so are there any things that bother you about Christianity? And they said, yeah, it, it, it condemns gay people to hell. And I said, well, was well, there a right answer there? Is it actually always wrong to condemn gay people to hell? Because a minute ago, you said there wasn't a right answer. And now you're talking like there is one that's true for everyone. And this took the person back and they had to, they had to think about it. And what we'll often find, and this goes back to what I said a minute ago, people often have a hodgepodge of beliefs that don't fit together. So on the one hand, they may say there aren't right or wrong answers to moral questions. And then they'll say it's always wrong to condemn gay people to hell. Now, another little parenthetical note here. Christianity does not teach that gay people are condemned to hell by being gay. What it does teach is that our behaviors are indicative of our, our, our spiritual state. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 says, a long list of types of people who engage in certain practices of behavior who will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the gospel is the same for the gay person as it is the straight person. There's not some special category there, and I don't think we articulate that very well, and maybe we'll talk about it more in the future. But all of that to say, people often want to have their cake and eat it too. They want to be able to say, no right answer, and these things are always wrong. And so we've got to push them on that. We've got to identify that in the conversation, because they probably have not identified that for themselves. Now, some people will say, well, you know what? Okay, I guess there is a right answer. Yeah, they might want to actually hold on to their intrinsic intuition that certain things are always right and always wrong. 
And we want to encourage them to hold on to that, by the way. The right answer here is not that we that there isn't a right answer. The correct answer to the question is, yes, there are certain things that are always right and certain things that are always wrong. And, and that's actually something we know by being created in the image of God. And things are always right or always wrong because they're grounded in God's unchanging character. So we want to encourage that type of intuition. However, if the person says, well, yes, there are things that are always right and always wrong. I just don't think we can know what they are. Well, now we have a conversation about tools of knowledge, tools of learning, right? So how would you determine if something was right and wrong? And they might say, well, my feelings. And we'll have to say, okay, well, have your feelings ever told you incorrectly about things? Or have your feelings told you something different than someone else's feelings? Now, the, the, the fact that two things disagree doesn't mean that there isn't a right answer, remember? It just means that we've gotten different pointers to what that answer might be. We have to evaluate those pointers on their merits. Just like if, if you interviewed two kids, if there was a fight and you said, you know, what happened here? And one kid says, well, Billy hit Johnny in the nose. And the other says, you know, uh, Billy uh, kicked Johnny in the knee. Uh, and we might say, okay, well, let's look at the evidence. Does Johnny's nose look red? Right? Those types of things. And maybe the person that supposedly kicked him in the knee was actually in a wheelchair, so he couldn't kick him in the knee. So we have to evaluate claims based on their evidences. And so we come back to this idea of have feelings correctly informed you a lot of the time? Do we find a consensus in how people feel about things? Could that be a decent pointer to something? And the answer there is often no. Right, so we can't just say homosexuality is wrong, for instance, or, or not wrong, because we feel a certain way. Because many people have even changed their feelings over their lifetimes. And there was a time in society when everyone agreed that it, it wasn't right. So we, we're going to scratch off feelings uh, as, as a good source of knowledge. And then we're going to say, well, is it just something we all decide on? And we've, we've talked about this before numerous times on the podcast. I'm not going to rehearse it too much here. And we're, we're going to walk this person through the idea that, well, it can't be consensus because consensus changes over time. And if, if no one ever thought about rape, would rape still be wrong? If there was no consensus on rape, would rape still be wrong? And the answer has to be, yes, it would be. Now, how would we know that? And we have to come back to this idea that God has revealed morality in two places. And this will be objectionable to the non-Christian. And we just have to know that. But we also have to be able to point out that they're, uh, they're, they're living inconsistently otherwise. They're going to affirm that there are objective moral truths, truths that are right or wrong, regardless of how people think about them. And then they're going to deny, basically, any of the proposed options for how to ground those truths. For instance, it can't be consensus. It can't be evolution. We've talked about that before. Survival of the fittest puts me first, not other people. It can't be uh, any type of naturalistic grounding of morality and those sorts of things. So what we have to come back to is that if you want to be a moral objectivist, if you want to think that moral claims and believe that moral claims are always right or always wrong for all people at all times to whom the claim applies, that claim must be grounded based on God's revealed standards of right and wrong. God has revealed those standards to us in the form of conscience. He has also revealed those standards to us in his word more accurately and fully and descriptively. And so if you want to, to hold on to this idea that some things are always right and always wrong, the way that you come to know that cannot just be scientific. Science can't inform us about morality. It must take into account and be based on God's revealed word.
So let's quickly recap to get a bird's eye view of where we've been here, and then we'll draw it together and put a little bow on it. We started out having a conversation about the existence of God, where a person said, I don't think God exists. I, I don't think, um, you know, he exists. And we said, well, is there even a right answer to that question? And they had to think about it. And they had to say, no, I don't. And I expanded that and said, do you think there are right answers to questions of God and religion and morality? And they said, no. And I said, now, wait a second. Is it that, we, that there isn't a right answer or is it that we can't know? And they, would, they initially would probably say, well, there isn't a right answer. And then we ask them some question that we're pretty sure we know how they'll answer. Like, is it wrong to mistreat gay people? Well, yes. Well, is that always wrong? Is there a right answer to that question? And they'll probably say yes. Now, some people will say no, but most people will say yes, and they should. And so we're going to say, so, so wait a second. Is, it, is the issue that there isn't a right answer, or is the issue that we can't know? And then they'll probably say, well, I guess it's that we can't always know. And then we have to, to evaluate the different ways we could know things and then ask them, how did they know the moral things they know? Why are they so convinced that mistreating a certain type of person is wrong? And when we evaluate all the options, consensus, evolution, my personal opinion, and those sorts of things, what we'll come up with is, well, those, those don't work. So there must be something else that's objective, such that the answer is always right and always wrong. And then we're going to have to say, have you considered that the, the ways you've been approaching learning about what is real might uh, not show you all the options? If we're only looking at naturalistic explanations, we will not see the full picture. And Christianity actually gives you a baseline, a foundation for understanding how things could be always right and always wrong. God is the ground for morality, and he does not change. It also tells us how we can know what is right and what is wrong. God has created in us this moral knowledge, this conscience. He's imprinted it on us. It's a feature of him creating us in his image. And more than that, he's told us in his word. And that, that word doesn't change. It is an objective source of knowing. And at the end of the day, we're still going to have to probably to talk with this person more about the fact that they believe certain things are always right and always wrong, and yet they can't explain why that is. And that should point them to the fact that they are created by God in his image, and that they're living in the world denying some ways that they actually know certain things. They're living in the world and kind of out of touch with it. They're assuming certain things are available to them in their worldview that if they were consistent would not be available to them. However, they're available in the Christian worldview. They make sense in our worldview, and we can explain why they are there and how they make sense in our worldview. So, I hope this has been helpful. So, two questions to have in conversation. Is there a right answer to this question? And depending on how they answer, we know how to work with that. And is the issue that we can't know, or is it that there isn't a right answer? Because those are different, right? Something could exist and us not know about it. So, anyways, I will talk with you next week. I hope you get off to a good start reading the Bible or, or whatever type of new spiritual discipline you want to commit to, if you do, in this new year. So, thanks for listening to Unapologetic in 2017. I hope you continue on in 2018. Thanks for sending in your questions. Feel free to do that even more. Uh, that, that helps make the podcast tailored to the people who listen, and I think everyone appreciates that. So, I will talk with you next week on Unapologetic. <laughs>